0: I invite you to turn with me now in the word of the have your Bibles with you, please, as you uh, listen to the God's word and to the sermon that is to follow. In God's word, we are in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. The version I'm reading from may be slightly different to what you see on your screen, but that won't be a problem. I'm sure it will be ever so slightly different. Different. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to look at the first seven verses. So please have your Bibles open to these verses. Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous person who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Before we ask Rob to bring the message, let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us and not left us with nothing. You have left us with full sufficiency. You have given us everything we need to know for godly living. And we thank you for your word this morning. Our prayer is that you would bless your servant Rob as he comes to preach to us now. We pray that you would Put your words into his heart and into his mouth. And for those of us, Lord, who will listen and will take note of what is being said, we pray that we would have soft and open hearts. So speak to us, we pray, in the minutes ahead. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Okay. Good morning. First impressions, we are told, count for a lot. You can only ever give one first impression. Many, many years ago, uh, when I was a young man, uh, when I was studying for my MBA, I used to play a game with a colleague, uh, trying to guess who the civil servants in the lecture room were. Uh, I come from the commercial sector, so there was a bit of a tension there. Um, We tried to guess by the clothes that they wore. And more often than not, we was able to do that. And Paul instructs God's people to put off the old man and put on the new. Can we be recognised by others, by our new team colours? The new man's clothes that we metaphorically wear. Have we upgraded our wardrobe or do we still hanker after the comfortable but tattered rags of the old man that we know are no, I'm not worthy of Jesus? Question I've got is, would people be surprised to discover that you and I are Christians in the way that we live our lives? We've previously heard in Ephesians, or I hope we have, how Christ has unified his people in himself and how they are to live as his church, demonstrating what it is to live under Christ's rule. And this morning, Paul continues this theme by further exhorting the Christians of Ephesus to live lives that imitate God by living lives of love as Christ loved us. We're gonna look at three areas this morning. First one is how we are to live our lives i.e. to be a pleasing fragrance to God, that's verses one to two. Things we should avoid with our lives, things that are odorous in the nostrils of God, verses three to four. And why does it matter? What is the significance of our choice? And that will be in verses five to seven. So the first part, how we are to live our lives to be a pleasing fragrance to God. We are occasionally informed that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I have two teenage boys, Matthias and Christian, and in many ways they've become the the young men that they are today by learning and imitating me, I guess, their father. I've never liked ball ball sports and likewise, perhaps due to a, a lack of encouragement from me, nor of my sons. They have in some ways imitated their interests by following me, following my passion for martial arts and angling. So whose children are we and who should we imitate? Well, in verse one of chapter five, Paul provides us with an answer. He exhorts the Ephesians as God's dearly loved children to be imitators of God and live a life of love just as Christ has loved us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The world is self-gratifying, self-serving and godless but Paul exhorts God's people to serve God by modeling Christ with their lives. In his day, Paul stood out against the hedonistic pleasure and self-gratification prevalent, and his words are reaching out to us today, telling us that it really matters how we live our daily lives as children of God. And perhaps particularly relevant as we embark on this second lockdown in society, for with this comes an opportunity to witness for Christ by demonstrating sacrificial lives that make a difference. So what's the motivation behind all of this? Well, it's not just Paul as a lone voice in the wilderness. Jesus himself in John, John 13, commands us to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by all this, men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now we are God's children, we should walk in love, being kind, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave us. Just as Christ himself loved us, in verse two, Jesus patiently pursued us, despite his rejection, humiliation, and anger that was thrown at him. He came to serve, not to be served. He gave himself up for us, become man, and experienced our temptations and sufferings that we live out day to day. And as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God, Jesus was crucified and bore the wrath, the curse of God on our behalf. Perfect in life, a sacrifice in death, pleasing to a just and holy God. And through Christ, we are dearly beloved children of God. Jesus has made his people a new creation. We read that in chapter two, verse 10. There is no place for that old self-serving man any longer in our lives. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Therefore we should be mirrors of him, living obedient lives, serving him, not ourselves as our culture would dictate. Living lives reflecting the love of Jesus, living as children of light, as in verse 8. Our love, like Jesus' love, should be sacrificial rather than internally self-centred. The love that the world would tell us is right, but the Bible says is wrong. A love that challenges how we use our time, our talent, and our money. We can choose, of course we can to be selfish owners of these, or we can choose to be stewards of them for God. Living God-centered lives shows us as different, giving us a seasoning that may show others the way to Christ. And it's not an argument for legalistic observance of what Christians should or shouldn't do, but rather about what our focus of our lives is and what our motivation for that is. The same question I ask again, would people be surprised to discover that you and I are Christians in the way that we live our lives? So what things should we avoid with our lives? This is in verses three to four, things that Paul says are odorous to the nostrils of God. Paul has told the Ephesians how to live their lives, and now he continues by looking at the other side of the coin and tells them what to avoid. He tells them not to give normality to sin, watering God's standards down by making it acceptable and by giving excuses to it. He talks of sins of the flesh in verse 3, sexual immorality. We are sexual creatures in a sexualized world. And Paul refers to all sexual activity outside of marriage, even between consenting adults as improper. This might be adultery. It could be pornography, porneia as they say in Greek. Same-sex relationships and sexual exploitation of others for self-gratification. Sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage is an abuse of God's gift to us. God's word is consistent in its language about this. Paul talks about impurity and he warns the Ephesians that the Gentiles were darkened in their understanding and separated from God by ignorance due to their hardness of heart. He tells us not to be like this and the New English Bible helpfully translates this impurity as wider indecency of any kind saying it's improper for God's holy people. Previously in Ephesians, we've read that this can include falsehood, anger, stealing, bitterness, unwholesome talk. And Paul also talks about greed, covetousness. There is a danger of us becoming overly desirous in life, jealous even bitter for what we don't have and what others do, the job, the trappings that go with it and its status, the search for perfection. Do we strive for that perfect home? Do we strive for that perfect family? And if you're a pastor, perhaps you strive for that perfect sermon. Before we know it, our motivation for life becomes things other than God, idols on whose altar we fall down to surreptitiously worship, putting us back into slavery from which Christ has freed us. Paul explains that these are all improper things for God's holy people in verse three. There should be no such thing as even a hint of them amongst his people. And Paul further writes about sins of the tongue. And he says that people should guard their tongues avoiding vulgarity and coarseness. Obscene language, foolish talk, coarse jokes. Well, these things surely they can't can't hurt, can they? Well, just as the tongue shows the doctor what's wrong with the body, so what we speak from our lips, speak from our tongue, shows what's inside, mirroring what's in our hearts. Now, what I don't want to do this morning is to create An unnecessary burden of guilt amongst us. For Paul is not referencing the momentary repented sin. I mean, we're all sinners. Who could get into the kingdom of God? Otherwise, if this is what he was talking about. Paul references habitual unrepentant hearts and unchanged lives. We can fool people some of the time, but we can't fool God. It's very easy at times to slip into a kind of spiritual amnesia and disobedience and climb back into the old man's self-indulgent ways. The deceiver Satan will try to tempt us as he did in Genesis. He will tell us that we can have it all. It's there for the taking, come on, enjoy life. He will persuade us that it's us and not God that decides what's good and what is right in our lives. But I'm pleased to say that in verse four, Paul doesn't leave us helpless. One practical antidote he provides us with is for us to be thankful for God. We should be thankful for God in what he has generously provided, serving him with thankful, loving, God-centered lives rather than lusting for the experiences and things that we believe that we want, but God knows that we don't really need. And finally, why does it matter? Well, our choices have significances And verse five to seven. I listened to a sermon from Billy Graham uh, during the summer in the back garden. And he struck me because he said, we plan for our children We plan for our careers and we plan for our weddings, we plan for our holidays, we plan for retirement, but we live lives as though we're gonna live forever. And we don't plan for when we will finally meet God face to face. Whilst there are so many things that are uncertain in our life, Paul does tell us in Ephesians that there's a couple of things that we can be very certain of, I point you to verse five. The first thing he says is that no immoral, impure, or greedy person, for such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This verse is a a very powerful one to me. For when I was a young man, It was this verse, verse 5, that came to me talking of my unrepentant heart. And it convinced me that I was in need of a saviour. It showed me that my soul was at that very moment in time hanging by a thread over hell. And if it ever snapped, as a young man, as a young 16-year-old man, boy, there was no going back for me. In my fear, I felt Christ's presence, and I asked Christ for forgiveness. And as Wesley says, my dungeon, in this case my bedroom, flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and I followed Thee. Unrepentant sin lives us outside, leaves us, leaves us outside of God's eternal kingdom. And God's word is very, very clear about this. The unrepentant person, unless redeemed by Jesus, does not have any inheritance in God's coming kingdom. The second thing we can be very sure of is verse six. The wrath of God is coming on the disobedient. The culture today might tell us as Christians, well, just lighten up a bit, will you? And sometimes our exposure to religion, our background might somewhat inoculate us to Paul's warning, but he tells us in verse seven, do not be deceived. As sure as day is day, we're all going to one day stand before Christ and have to give an account. Paul tells us that the wrath of God is coming on the disobedient, the unrepentant person. As Billy Graham asked, will you plan for your eternity? Perhaps you're thinking, I'm comfortable with life. I'm quite a resourceful person. I have a nice home, a car, family. I'm not a bad person. I'm certainly no, no worse than those next door that I live next to. I'm no worse than anyone else. Why do I need Jesus? Well, we're all the same in the sense that there is a certain eternity that's laid out for us. However, the outcomes of which might be very, very different. Will you try to argue your own final case before God? Well, what case for the defense do you think you can present when the judgment has already been made? You've been warned that God's wrath will fall on the unrepentant person. Will you come to Jesus and ask him for his forgiveness? Let Jesus plead your case before God. Then his eternal kingdom of paradise awaits. It's that simple. We do have a choice. And in verse six, we're warned not to be deceived. Don't be deceived by a softer, more sanitized gospel. The choices we make do have consequences. Other people, including unfortunately people within God's church might try to tell you more comforting things. God is love. God of love will not condemn. God will make you prosperous. You can have it all. He'll look after his people. He'll provide everything you need materially Well, don't be deceived and please don't think this is an isolated warning that you can ignore. God's word is consistent and persistent in its warning. I'm gonna read Revelation 21 verse eight and it says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of." Burning sulphur, and this is the second death. Well, I'm going to wrap up now. And to summarize, we've heard from Paul to imitate God by living a life of love modeled on Jesus, and not to live for self-gratification as the world does. The choices we make do have significant eternal outcomes. Let's ask as God's children not give the old man any further foothold. Let's show our team colors changed by Jesus and live loving Christ-like lives that are pleasing to God, pleasing in how we behave, pleasing in how we think and pleasing in what we say. I come back to the question I've asked twice. Would people be surprised to find out that you and I are Christians? by the lives that we live. And finally, if you haven't already done so, then I do hope and pray that you come to Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, for there's no other way. Your eternal destiny depends on it. And if you do want to talk to anyone after this morning's talk, please contact uh, a member of Staines Congregational Church, or you can call me on 07704 607 673 should you wish to discuss anything. Thank you very much. Amen.